Hello and welcome to another Innovation Forum podcast. My name is Toby Webb and joining me once again in the podcast is Dr. Peter Stanbury. So welcome to the podcast, Peter, again. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Toby, and as ever, lovely to talk with you. Always a pleasure. You and I have been collaborating, well, for many years, 20-odd at least, on different projects. And one of the things we've been doing in recent years is writing more about supply chains, doing research, hosting webinars, seminars, etc., and raising awareness of the next generation of issues that need to be tackled and the solutions for doing so. Now, we've been doing that in a number of ways. Blog posts about issues like cocoa, reports on the next evolution of smallholder agriculture and wider agricultural engagement by companies and conferences, of course. Now, you authored a research paper we did about a year or so ago, and we've been following these various events around commodity sustainability quite closely, I think it's fair to say. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about the new Nestle announcement and what that means and what the wider ramifications are. The headline is really that Nestle, and we worked with them on the launch of this, and Innovation Forum is they've announced an innovative plan, as they call it, to tackle child labour risks, increase farmer income and achieve full traceability in cocoa. Now, that's a very ambitious headline, but Nestle being Nestle, they have got quite a lot of detail to back it up. So for those listeners who aren't familiar with this announcement, which did get quite a lot of press, quite supportive press, actually in the FT and elsewhere. For those who aren't familiar with this, Peter, just run through what the plan is and what they're saying they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, it really is a very significant and welcome step forward. And Nestle said it's going to invest up to 1.3 billion Swiss francs between now and 2030 in their cocoa programme, in their cocoa sustainability programme. And specifically what they're looking to do is to move beyond just looking at the farmers they work with as cocoa farmers, but actually realise that they're farmers. And that actually the only way we start to move towards environmental sustainability, towards decent farmer incomes, is by seeing the farmer in the round. So what Nestle have announced is that each farmer family that they work with can earn up to an additional 500 Swiss francs a year, the first two years of the programme, for additional benefits, additional activities that they undertake. And there's four areas. The first is school enrolment for children in a household between six and 16. And obviously that's beneficial because children get education. But also if children are in school, then that reduces the risk that they end up being part of the child labour issue that has surrounded cocoa as a crop. Secondly, incentivizing good agricultural practices such as pruning, which have a massive increase on crop productivity. And we looked at some of the data that Nestle circulated on this and good pruning and good practice around maintaining the cocoa trees is, has a phenomenal impact on productivity. There's an incentive there. The third area is looking at agroforestry. So to really try and increase climate resilience in farming areas, planting shade trees and and activities like this. And fourthly, which certainly is something we definitely agree with from the work that the, the, the results of our research last year is encouraging farmers to diversify their incomes through growing other crops that might be cassava or whatever it is, um, or raising livestock. Livestock also have the advantage that they're very portable and a highly profitable thing to do. The plan is to encourage farmers in all those four areas, and there are payments associated with good practice in each of those for each of the farming families. So it's a very, very significant and very welcome step forward. And in some ways, I suppose, not dissimilar to approaches we see in other areas of agriculture. If you go to a small farm in Italy that's growing grapes, they'll often grow three or four other crops And I'm sure many of these farms are getting subsidies from the common agricultural policy. In some senses, this is taking a model that's proven elsewhere and putting it into West Africa. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's right. One of the things that came out of our research last year is that quite a lot of the coverage of the cocoa sector is quite disingenuous. 
you'll get quite a lot of NGO coverage that will say cocoa farmers only earn such and such a percent of a living income. They forget to add that actually that's because cocoa farmers don't just grow cocoa, they grow other things as well. But I think the difference with the Nestle thing is it's encouraging those second crops, those additional crops to be grown in a more commercial fashion. You and I spent a lot of time in, in various parts of the world from Bangladesh to India to Sierra Leone to Tanzania. Many farmers will already grow an additional crop, but it will generally either be for home consumption. So they might grow legumes or whatever to diversify the household diet or for small cash income that they sell at the local market. I think where what Nestle is doing is slightly different is it's actually seeing those additional crops, those additional activities as being you know, properly a second income so that the farmers are not just having as one significant income what they do with cocoa, but they'll have one, perhaps two other incomes as well. It's taking that model that, that exists elsewhere and really turbocharging it in the context of West Africa. Well, it's great to see. And of course, the school enrolment side of things has form as well, doesn't it? Um, the Bolsa Familia scheme famously in Brazil reduced poverty by 27.7% during the first administration of Lula da Silva. And of course, you, one might argue on a national basis how affordable that is in the long term. But nevertheless, the idea of incentivizing school enrollment in is not new and it has been proven to work. So it's, it's great to see a company taking that holistic approach. There's no doubt this isn't just a sort of let's see what happens over the next year or two. This is a major investment of time, of resource. As you say, we were involved in the launch of this. We had their very senior people. We had Mark Schneider led the session, and and it doesn't get much more senior than that. Um, And again, just to loop back on your point about school enrolment, part of the reason that children will not be in school in some of these communities is because the family needs the children to be able to make the farm work. And so actually making there be a a cash incentive, you know, either perhaps buy in labour or do something different to actually make sure that child goes into school, I think is excellent. We also had some serious political buy-in at the event, of course. I think it was the the leader of the Ivory Coast was there and incredibly supportive of this programme and mentioned very honestly that they know they have to invest in the future of their sector and they know issues like deforestation have to come to an end because of course that will end up ruining farmer livelihoods as well as other issues so great to see this happening now where does this sort of thing go next that's what we're really interested in isn't it you know we came up with a framework a couple of years ago clumsily titled collaborative development governance where we talked about the potential of examples like this to exist with government policy and to drive regional rural development because that's really what we need to see it's what we've seen elsewhere in the world you look throughout history you see in rural areas developments happened in similar ways we've seen people move up the value chain processing facilities create localized economies support economies for farming and that's where we've seen the development of rural towns and so on so it's interesting to think forward about how initiatives like this and others could help contribute to better thinking about how we have sustainable rural development in regions like west africa yeah, I agree. The fact that the hinterland of this Nestle announcement is them, they as an organisation realising that you can't just look at cocoa farmers as being cocoa farmers. You've got to see them in the round. You've got to understand the wider context in which those families and those communities operate. You mentioned that there was political buy-in to the Nestle announcement, which was very welcome. And I think begins to recognise that there needs to be a joined up approach that involves government, involves the host governments of the governments of these countries, and it involves the corporate sector. 
and this was very much a conclusion of our research last year, that part of the reason that initiatives around sustainability so far aren't sustainable is because they're all individual or pinpricks in, in what actually is a systemic problem. Take the issue of child labour in cocoa. Yes, if you look at cocoa as a crop, there is a much lower rate of child labour than has historically been the case. But that doesn't necessarily mean that child labour as a problem in those countries has been addressed. They just work elsewhere. Therefore, if those issues are to be properly addressed, there needs to be a more holistic approach to it. And I think this is a, a very welcome step in that direction from Leslie. But I think where does it go next? As you say, we coined this term collaborative development governance a couple of years ago, and it's slightly inelegant term, but I think it does do what it says on the tin. Where we need to get to is a, as a collective joined up approach. And in the case of cocoa in West Africa, I think it means looking beyond just what goes on at farm level. We have to start looking at questions like what is the value addition that happens to cocoa onshore? Our understanding at the moment is that vast proportion of the processing of cocoa currently takes place out of those countries, which obviously means that a great deal of the value addition to that product happens elsewhere. So what might be done around developing some more onshore processing of cocoa? I don't know how that might work, but that's the sort of thing one needs to look at. Another issue is the question of farm size. Already, the vast majority of small-scale farmers around the world farm less than two hectares, and in parts of West Africa, it's less than a hectare. How far is that ever going to be sustainable? You can improve these situations as far as you can. But at some stage, there needs to be a shift towards a different structure of rural agricultural economics. As you say, that's what's happened in many other countries around the world. I mean, how many ultra small scale farms do we still see in Western Europe? None. Because you get larger farms, you get larger economies of scale. But obviously, the key then is how do you create other opportunities for local employment so you don't end up with a migration towards the big metros? It's beginning to look at those wider issues, those wider contextual issues. And I think that's why having the political engagement with Nestle's announcement um, a couple of weeks ago was so encouraging. And as we know, Alex Asanvo is now running, who's ex-corporate sector himself, is now running a joint program for both the Ivoirian and Ghanaian governments to look at this whole piece. And I think that's really, really encouraging. Collaborative development governments may be a slightly awkward term, but I think we're beginning to see with the Nestle announcements, the first step in how one might get there. Yes, and, and for listeners interested in our previous writing on this, including on that term, have a look at my blog, sustainablesmartbusiness.com, where we've had a lot of traffic and a lot of discussion about this, where we talked about blunt instruments like the living income differential in cocoa just not really working, and then suggested this broader approach. And I think for those companies out there who are, or execs in companies who are quite scared, rightfully, by the idea of being responsible for development, I think the point both of us would like to make is that we're not asking or suggesting that companies should be responsible for the development of South Sumatra or um, Liberia or Cote d'Ivoire, but that they are facilitating an honest debate about what needs to take place to drive resilience and to drive development of institutions and incentives that can allow those living in those places to be educated and move up the value chain. And the Nestle announcement is a really good example of that because it's helping in the round people to get educated whilst earning an income. And so the next step for that has to be a number of other companies recognizing, I think publicly, this need and starting to collaborate on how they could work with governments to make that happen. That's the kind of research we're trying to do now through our Innovation Accelerator Network. And I think it's a much needed development because frankly, where else would we go from here, Peter, if we didn't do this? 
you're right that companies are and historically have been for all sorts of reasons very very wary of anything that has political in it but the fact is that by engaging in programs and projects around smallholder farmers those issues are part of larger societal political issues they don't exist in a bubble on their own and really the only way that you can start to address these issues you know be that environmental degradation be that child labor be that farmer income the only way that you can address those systemically and durably is by addressing the underlying problems another phrase that we've used over the years has been political economy analysis which is something we think really needs to be a much better underpinning of what goes on in these markets to really understand what actually is going on let's understand the question first before we start to try and put forward answers Therefore, it's not that companies need to get involved in a political way and sort of lobbying or anything like that, but it's recognising that the issues that they're trying to address with programmes around smallholder farming are inevitably linked to deeper political and social issues. And it's only by engaging with those that the specific issues, the proximate issues around incomes, environmental degradation are going to be addressed. We hope with our Innovation Accelerator Network that we can provide that sort of convening power. We can be that safe space for corporate entities, government entities to actually have those conversations a little bit like Innovation Forum's conferences have done over the years, you know, provide literally a forum where issues can be discussed. But what we're trying to do with the network is really to make it granular, looking at on the ground issues that face both governments and companies. Well, yes, I think it's about assembling the evidence base, isn't it? This is a puzzle we have to put together piece by piece. We did a pretty groundbreaking report, which you authored about a year ago, December 2020, actually, we, we published it. That was sort of 80 or 90 interviews looking at the missing areas of smallholder research to drive efficiencies in the value chain, of which we found many. And you can find all of those by looking at the Innovation Forum website and looking for Innovation Accelerator, download Peter's report. Truly a great piece of work. Well done on that. But what that made us realize is that there are a number of areas to be explored and that what we need to do if we want to start joining things up a bit and helping companies, NGOs, governments and others get to a place where they can discuss how we build a framework to take this sort of thing forward. This sort of thing, I mean, the next generation of announcements such as that made by Nestle recently, we need to establish an evidence base. And that's got to be done on a regional basis, looking at different crops around the world to show what they have in common. And that's where Innovation Forum has always added a bit of value in helping those in one industry see the benefits and learnings from another. So at the moment, we've got a couple of projects underway to try and build on this work with Nestle. So Peter, just talk briefly about work we're doing with Golden Agri and with Cotton Connect and how we think that might feed into growing this kind of evidence base for taking rural development discussions further. Yes, we're working on two pilots at the moment with Cotton Connect and with Golden Agri. Cotton Connect works with 55,000 farmers in Gujarat in India, and we're looking at that onward supply chain. One of the issues that came out of our report last year is that there's a lot of focus gets given to farmers and farming communities. But what about everyone else? What about the onward processes? What about the people who are acting as the transport? providers. So that's what we're doing with GAR in Indonesia. We're looking at the question of additional markets. Obviously, Nestle, with their announcement, are encouraging the farmers to look at additional crops. And that's something also that GAR has been doing uh, with its oil palm farmers in Indonesia. And they've actually got to the stage where some farmers are growing significant amounts of additional crops, but they're not finding a market for those crops. So we're working to understand how that might be improved. But as you say, Toby, it's about getting data and insight on the ground and also realising that there is the potential for huge overlap, as you say, economies of scale. If you take even just government and donor programs, there are 438 
agriculturally focused donor programs in India. So the potential for overlap between what Cotton Canuck are doing and some of them is, is probably quite significant. And it's finding those overlaps. It's being able to look for those economies of scale. It's being able to say, as we did with the report last year, there are massive learnings across value chains, but actually realising that and, and implementing that at a geographically specific level. So next steps for us in this are um, we're going to be doing more think pieces, I suppose, about how to take this forward. You can find many of them on sustainablesmartbusiness.com. Some of them will also be appearing on Innovation Forum. We're going to be doing more podcasts like this, webinars to convene execs and NGOs and government folks and others to discuss this sort of thing and trying to move this research forward with more members of our informal network who want to share and learn from each other because these commodities often have more in common than they have not in common. So join us to do that. You can contact Peter or I in the usual ways, first name dot last name at innovationforum.co.uk. And we really hope you can join us to get involved on this journey. If not, well, keep listening because there's lots to be discussed and we should be doing so in the coming month. Peter, thanks for your time today. Let's reconvene in a month or so and see where we've got to. Marvellous. Marvellous.